You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Washington, UCLA, 5.30 kickoff at Husky Stadium today. And uh, looking at the weather report, looks like the weather's going to hold off and expecting temperatures in the mid-60s. But as most of you know, you get inside Husky Stadium, it can uh, drop 5 to 10 degrees really, really quick. But uh, by week, this uh, could be the game of the coach's hot seat. UCLA, Chip Kelly is definitely on the hot seat down there. They're not performing where uh, a lot of the fans would like to see them after the win uh, against LSU. And Jimmy Lake definitely on the hot seat. As I put in my prediction, we'll find out which coach is on the hottest seat Sunday morning. So um, a bye week. But we've had a lot of time just to kind of go over things, review the first five games of the season. Scott, tell me a little bit about the bye week and what you've heard and just what's been going on. Well, you know, I mean, and you reported on it yesterday, Kim, and and Chris wrote it up and everything, but that Washington is the healthiest they've been basically since the start of fall camp. And uh, they're expecting to have pretty much everybody back. I haven't heard of anyone that is out for the game, per se. And, um, you know, there's some rumors about a big-time name that's going to be coming back and playing. I'm sure we'll touch on that here in a little bit. But um, the fact that they're back healthy, uh, they've gotten a chance to, co- you know, Jimmy Lake talked about the fact that the coaches got a chance to review the film, go back and look at what was was working, what wasn't working and what they should be doing going forward for the next seven weeks. And it was a time for them to get out on the road and actually do some in-person recruiting off campus, which they haven't been able to do basically since January of uh, 2020. So um big big things happening um is it going to make a difference in tonight's game i don't know but it's definitely um some positive things let's see if they can continue that momentum we'll touch bases on the recruiting a little bit later in the podcast because they were definitely out throwing out a lot of offers here you know this past week but chris just uh with this off week, you know, just what did you take from having this time off and hearing things and just seeing what's going on out there? Well, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, if, if at least if you take Jimmy Lake's word for it, that they got a lot healthier. I mean, you had players like Richard Newton and Trent McDuffie who were suited up and some played, but to be honest, it, it just didn't look like there were a few guys out there that were a little banged up. And then you had other guys like Kate Otten, Jack Westover, you know, guys that didn't, you know, that didn't play at all. Um, you know, so, you know, basically Lake said on Thursday that, that it sure sounds like Kate Otten's going to be back. And then if they get other pieces, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a sec, you know, that, you know, that makes them even better. So that's one excuse that they can throw right out the window. Um, they haven't necessarily been a hundred percent healthy. I mean, we've all talked about it uh, until we're blue in the face. How many, receivers they were down against Montana and that, that slowly come back up you know it sure looks like they're going to be as close to 100% as they've been all season minus Jalen Polk um, you know the running backs will, will be hopefully 100% healthy again right and then you know defensively you know they could get a big piece back and if that even if it's just for a few snaps it could be uh, something that gives them a, a, a huge boost of confidence um, so you know they, they've got the pieces in place to do it they've obviously struggled a bunch in certain areas that we'll talk about but if if they were able to shore some of those things up you know the coaches were able to get back out and recruiting for the first time in like what 15 16 months yeah actually yeah, seeing kids in person yeah. in games that's huge so the bye week came at a really really good time for them to address a number of different things but i guarantee you the coaches you know, uh, trying to get Bob Gregory back healthy, trying to get Durham Cato back healthy. That's huge as well. Um, There's just so many things and so many guys that needed to get back that were uh, that, that are on the mend. So we'll, Scott, we'll see how healthy they really are uh, tonight. Scott, who's on the hotter seat right now, Jimmy Lake or Chip Kelly? Well, I got to believe right now it's Chip Kelly. There are as high as the expectations were for the University of Washington. Chip Kelly came in. He's one of the highest paid coaches in the country. He's um, a 
a guy who's had the rep for winning conference titles, and he didn't do that. He hasn't done that at, at UCLA. He hasn't even made a conference championship game yet. So, um, you know, th- I think it's got to be Chip Kelly. Jimmy Lake probably isn't that far behind. The one thing working in Jimmy Lake's favor is the fact that he's this has really been his only year as the head coach at the University of Washington with a regular year last year, the pandemic and all that stuff. And I, I just think that was a, that was a wash. You, 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 the, I, I have a hard time seeing him unless the wheels just totally fall off of the program. And that's always possible, I guess. But um, I, I just don't see Jimmy Lake being on the hot seat from the standpoint that he's going to be fired, that he has to worry about being fired at the end of the, at the end of the season, unless something really bad happens. But um, Chip Kelly, you know, I, I think the expectations were a lot higher when he was hired and he hasn't reached those yet. So uh, we'll have to just see what happens. I think Chip Kelly's probably on the hotter seat. And uh, and, you know, it, it's too bad because I think he's good for college football. But, you know, he he just hasn't gotten it done there. Yeah, just looking at the buyout numbers, I, I saw him yesterday. I can't seem to find it as I'm quickly looking, but uh Chip still has a pretty big buyout. I thought it was 10. Wasn't it 10 million or something like that? Uh, I think it's pretty close to that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, basically, yeah, it looks like Kelly's like around nine. Um, Jimmy's actually his buyout's bigger at this point, but you would expect that because he's barely into his contract. Um, You know, the guys that are really like like Justin Wilcox, $16.2 million buyout. (laughs) Carl Durrell, 14.8. Yikes. Yeah. Cal, guys in Cal, Cal in Colorado can't be thrilled right now. No, and I was down at uh, Pac-12 Basketball Media, and I t- caught up with uh, Jim McGill, who you both know that runs uh, Bear Insider. You know, and we were talking a little bit about Justin, and I asked if Justin was indeed on the hot seat. And he said, yeah, which um, kind of surprised me a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's just a tough, tough job at Cal. But, you know, when you take a look at uh, some of the buyout numbers, um, I mean, UCLA's got a lot of money, but, you know, people just say boosters can just step up and write these checks. These guys didn't get rich by, you know, just writing blank checks. So it'll be interesting to see Chip Kelly and the reaction from the fan base of Chip Kelly if UCLA loses. And we've all pretty much been experiencing the the Jimmy Lake fan blowback most of the season since the Montana loss. But um, when you take a look at this offense, Scott, I think that it's fair to say that – Dylan Morris has been struggling, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But uh, is Washington's, you know, Rick Neuheisel was on with Softy the other day. Do you think Dylan Morris is holding this Washington offense back? Holding it back? I don't know. I think it's a combination of the fact that I I definitely think he plays into it. Yeah, I I don't think he's been making the plays that a lot of us thought he could make when he got here. Um, He's not taking risks down the field. He's not uh, getting the ball out as quickly as he probably should. He's he's not coming off of reads. He's staring wide receivers down. That's on him. But then there's, you know, John Donovan and the plays that he's calling. And, and is he opening things up enough for Dylan Morris? Um, you know, the fact that, look, you, you play with who you got, but he was missing his top two tight ends for the last two weeks. He was missing his top three or four of four of his top five receiver receivers were out for um, the minutes or the Montana game. And then you and you throw in the fact that you start getting some guys back. Things started to open up in a little bit, but he just hasn't been able to make the plays. Some of it's his fault. Some of it's the injuries and some of it's John Donovan and the plays that's been called. The running game is not helping matters at all either. And um, we thought that they were going to rely heavily on a running game and then and then use play action off of that. And they're just not able to do that. And it's going to be a struggle to do that against UCLA, who's only allowing 92 yards a game on the ground. So um, Washington needs to figure out how to get him going. And if they don't, uh, they're going to continue to struggle. And Chris, the hard part about what I'm seeing with Dylan Morris the last couple of games is, you know, Dylan had the reputation, you know, and you hate to use the word game manager, but you know, not taking risks and uh, not forcing the ball, but he leads the conference in interceptions. Yes, he does. And, um, you know, to be fair to Dylan, a couple of those are tips. So, you know, his receivers aren't necessarily always helping him out. Um, I think things are getting better. 
and I think he's getting more comfortable the more that the receivers are coming back. You know, now that, you know, Jalen McMillan's played in a few games, you know, uh, Terrell Bonham's obviously been back since Michigan. Taj Davis has been ever present. So I think he's building a chemistry with him. Uh, Roma Dunsey's back, been back for a couple of games now and he's starting to get his feet wet again. So, you know, there's, there's opportunities there to be made. I th- and I think this is going to sound a little counterintuitive guys, but I, I don't think Dylan Morris has called his number near enough. And I'm wondering if UCLA is, is going to respect him in the same way they would respect uh, Chance Nolan or um, Chase Garbers or Jalen Daniels in terms of, you know, tucking it and, and making some yards. And, I think that's been one of the problems as a game manager is that, you know, he, he locks in on one guy and he's bound and determined to get the ball to that guy instead of saying, you know what, there's a spot here. I can get three or four yards and I can slide and we can get to the next play and I can try to find someone else. So I'm just wondering if, if he's going to try to utilize his legs a little bit more in the process. And I'm very curious to see if UCLA, you know, respects him enough tonight to, to, um, to really try to play that or if they or if they just slough off of him and just play the pass and then see if Dylan Morris is stubborn about trying to get it to certain guys. Yeah. And Chris, you know, the the best way to open up the passing game is obviously have a good running game. And, you know, the struggles in the running game, the struggles along the offensive line, um, I don't think anybody saw this coming. I don't think anybody saw them having the struggle. Phil Steele had them, I believe, top five in the country offensive line, but boy, I think they're performing at a level in the bottom half of the conference, maybe even the bottom third of the conference right now. How do you explain this offensive line and the lack of running game, Chris? Well, if I could explain it, Kim, I would have explained it five weeks ago. Um, <laughs> I you, you, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, seriously, it's... Um, I think a lot of it is recognition. I think they're. I think the defenses have been good with their fronts in terms of mixing and matching and and having guys come at certain angles and having guys come in delays and you know uh, work their games with their twists and their stunts and they've done a nice job of blending all of those things into frankly confuse the the offensive line of Washington and I don't know if that means Washington just hasn't you know relied on their keys and relied on their techniques and the things that that Scott Huff drills them on every single day, but it's been absolutely crazy. And then on top of it, when you do have your running backs not being able to kind of make some things happen on their own, if if some things break down along the offensive line, that's been a problem as well. And, you know, Sean McGrew, for instance, when he had that 39-yard touchdown against um, Oregon State, that was by that was double, the over double the longest run that Washington had had to date their long run before the Oregon state game guys was 18 yards. And if that isn't, you know, incredibly damning when it comes to the run attack, that, that tells you everything. And then also the other thing is, you know, they have a total of 583 yards. You look at Zach Charbonnet for UCLA, for instance, he's basically there. He's like at 567 or 566 or something. I mean, he essentially Zach Charbonnet is Washington's entire ground game. And that should really scare the crap out of Washington fans because this was supposed to be the strength. This was supposed to be the foundation that everything that was supposed to play off of, you know, John Donovan's attack. You were, they were supposed to have the downhill game. They were supposed to be able to run not only when they wanted to, but when they had to, and then they would play action and do other things off of it. Now it basically feels like their most potent run attack, at least based off of what they did at Oregon State, is the Wildcat. And Scott, when you take a look at the film, you know, and I've watched a lot of the games in, uh, in a slow motion. And, you know, when I look at the offensive line, I, uh, I see them getting stood up. I see them getting pushed back. I see them confused, not knowing who to block. Um, what are you seeing there? Well, no, I I don't think you're seeing anything that any of us are not seeing. You know that they've they've really struggled, and I think a lot of that could be placated by uh, MJ Ale coming in and replacing Julius Bulo. I don't want to put it all on Julius Bulo's, uh, you know, at at his feet because all of them have seemed to struggle here and there. Um, but he's been the one with the with the biggest struggles. They've missed some communications. He's missed some calls. Um, and, and the thing about MJ Ale is he did struggle a little bit in, in pass pro, but when it came to the run game, 
he did not struggle at all. He is a very good run blocker. He did that a lot at five high school um, in a in a uh, wing T offense that they run there. And so we knew he was going to struggle in pass protection. So maybe the Huskies have figured out a way to, hey, we're going to slide protection his way every time. And we're going to have a back in here helping him out. We're going to maybe have, um, uh, you know, um, Luke Wattenberg, you know, get out there, slide out a little bit and help him in, in pass pro too. And and I think that's going to help things a little bit. We'll see if MJ Ali is the starter or if Julius Bulo is the starter. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think Washington's got a really good chance to, to make some stuff happen uh, with MJ Ali in there. And, and it'll be really interesting to see if, if that does keep getting better. It, it's going to be a struggle against UCLA. UCLA is one of the best teams against the run in the entire country. And Washington is is not the most dynamic running team. They don't run a lot of stuff um, outside of the tackles. A lot of it's inside the tackles, and that's where the strength of the UCLA defense is. So, you know, Washington is probably going to have to, and I know we were talking about the run, but if Washington wins this game, it's going to have to be throwing the ball because UCLA, as good as they are against the run, they are terrible against the pass, giving up almost 308 yards a game. And Washington is going to have to exploit that because that's the real weakness of the UCLA defense. And Scott, a lot of the time when I'm looking at the formations, it just seems like Washington wants to, you know, play the game. You said between the tackles, I call it a phone booth. And whether it's the run game or the passing game, it just seems like they're playing on a lot smaller field. It's like playing in a phone booth. There's no space out there. There's no space in between the tackles. There's no space on that offensive line. There's no space for the running backs to get into. The wide receivers, they look like they're running short routes. It just looks like everything's congested, where a lot of these teams are playing on an eight-lane highway, and Washington's using two. Yeah, I mean, well, if you watch it, too, they motion in a tight end or a wide receiver sometimes, and that mo- that brings in another defender into the box. Sometimes it brings two. And it, it just, you're, you're like, I don't get it. Why do you keep doing that same stuff? You know, you also, a lot of other people who are a lot more technically savvy than I am about formations and things like that have seen a lot of other things. And they've talked about it on our board about how Washington just continues to run their head, ram their head into the wall. It doesn't help matters. Now, I'm not saying it's all on the running backs, but the running backs are not seeing some holes because there's a couple times Cam Davis's uh, fumble against Oregon State, where he fumbles at the well, it ended up being at the 11 yard line where where Oregon State recovered it. Uh, but he fumbles because he runs right into the back of the offensive lineman. Well, he's running where the hole was supposed to be, but if you look off to the right, he had gobs of yardage available to him, but he didn't make the the move out there. So, is it a vision problem? Is it that they're being coached to run? right up the middle where the hole is supposed to be and don't worry about it. I don't know, but the, the running backs are not helping matters in the running game either. And, and Chris, you know, when you hesitate, you're going to get beat. And a lot of the times what I'm seeing too, on the offensive line, not knowing who to block, which means they're slow, which penetrations allowing, you know, the, uh, the, the running backs hesitating, not knowing which hole to hit or not seeing the hole. Uh, I'm not seeing the checkdowns that we'd like to see from Dylan Morris calling out of plays, you know, when the box is stacked. But, you know, um, talk to me a little bit about that offense and what it's really going to take to get that thing going. Well, <clears throat> Scott was right in the sense that UCLA is really strong against the run, number one in the Pac-12. So they're going to have to figure out some some extended handoffs, some things that you would might, might see in a like a Mike Leach air raid concept where they're just dumping th- some things off. Um, I don't know if they're going to have to do more of a screen game or or just little passes to the flat to try to get a few yards here and there because, yeah, if, if they're just going to try to attack the middle, they're not going to have a lot of success, or at least, you know, based on history and based on what Washington's done to this point, based on what UCLA has done to this point, it's, it's a no-go. Um, the problem is, I think, is that a lot of times the teams aren't respecting what Dylan Morris can do down the field. And if they can't respect it, they're going to stack the box and they're going to dare him to throw the ball. So John Donovan's task is, at least from the outside, looks pretty simple. It's to find Dylan Morris some some opportunities to get comfortable to start getting the ball down the field a little bit. Um, you know, having Kate Auden back, for instance, if he's back today, that that would be huge 
um, because we know how much of a security blanket he was for Morris in 2020 and not having him around the last couple of weeks, I think is, has been really, really cr- critical in terms of Washington sometimes stalling in some situations. But again, you know, Dylan's at less than 59% throwing the ball. You can't, you just can't do that in college football anymore. You might've been able to get away with that 10, 15, 20 years ago, but not today. Today you've well, got to, you've got to be 60, 65 easy um, you know, to try to, to, to keep that balance, that run pass balance that you need to keep defenses on their toes. Well, Chris, you say that 59% number, which is kind of shocking because what percentage <clears throat> of those passes are behind the line of scrimmage and zero to five yards. It's a high percentage because Washington sure doesn't seem like they want to attack that 10 to 20 yard zone down the middle of the field, or even on the sidelines, 59% when most of them are dump offs. Yeah, no, you could excuse it if if they were further down the field to a, to a certain extent. And let's and again, let's not try to dump this all on Dylan because the receivers and the tight ends have been equally to blame. Drops, um, you know, they've had some opportunities to make some plays with with some yards after the catch and haven't been able to do it. So they've they've got to play their part too. There's no doubt about it. But again, this is we talked about it. You know, they're getting healthy. They should be fully healthy now. Jalen Polk's not there, but the rest of the receivers are there, and they've been there for a couple weeks now. There's no excuses for them at this point. They should be ready to go. And the, and again, the tight ends are, are there. If 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 Kate Otten is there tonight, if Jack Westover comes back tonight, that's equally as big because he provides as much in the blocking game as he does the receiving game. They you know not having those two guys have has really been difficult to try to to try to you know run this offense without a lot of their key pieces. Um, it's hard enough as it is, you know, John Donovan is, is, you know, they're hamstrung anyway, just by the type of offense that they're running. Um, but to not have some of their key pieces has made it even, even more difficult. Scott, uh, UCLA slogged through, uh, a victory over Arizona last Saturday. Uh, Washington had the bye week you know, and I asked Jimmy, um, the other day having that bye week I mean, is that an advantage or does that put a little rust on you? What do you think? Well, I, I definitely think it, at this point in the season, it's it's an advantage because you can get you can get a little healthy. You can go back and uh, <coughs> excuse me. You can go back and look at, um, you know, how things are going and, and what's, you know, make make some adjustments and things like that. You know, when you when it ha- when your bye week happens so early in the in the season, um, you know, some some teams will have a bye week like in week two or week three, and you just that that is really terrible to have it that early because you're 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 still pretty healthy usually unless you got really banged up in fall camp. But you know, you, you just you want to have it when Washington had it. I mean, middle of the season is always when I prefer to have a bye week. I don't like bye weeks at all, but if you're going to have one, you're going to have it. You know, you you want to have it in the middle of the season anyway. UCLA, you know, Kim, you say they slogged through a, a game. They still won 34 to 16, but you're you're right. Arizona pushed them a little more than I think a lot of people thought they would be pushed last week. And and uh, I think it's good for Washington that they're coming off a bye and they have a home game. That definitely helps them, and it's a it's a positive. Um, I don't think you get rest in a week. Um, I I think Washington. Um, from everything I've heard, the, the week of practice has been really, really good. The guys have been real energized. We could, we don't get to watch practice, but uh, we're we're situated waiting for the end of practice. You could hear things. They were pretty amped up during during uh, during the week when we would go there and and uh, and and be ready for media availability and stuff like that. So um, I think Washington's going to come out ready to play. Um, and we'll see, we'll just have to see what happens. I, I think UCLA is going to come out ready to play too. I don't know when they're, you know, I haven't looked when their bye week is, it might be coming up next week. I don't know. Uh, but you know, Washington really needs this game. They need this game much more than UCLA needs it from a standing standpoint and from a momentum standpoint. Chris, we've been doing this a long time. Um, I can't even remember a time where Washington, was missing one coach, let alone two coaches going down. Durham Cato just got annihilated on the sidelines down at Oregon State. And Bob Gregory, you know, the first day back at practice on that Monday, um, you know, where it is, you know, he was pretty sick and they had to take him to the hospital. Uh, Gregory evidently is back to full strength, but Durham Cato took a beating. 
Yeah, he did. <clears throat> and it was uh it was a rude one. And uh Jimmy said if you if you got a chance to see it on the replay that you'd re- you'd realize he's still sore and you know, rib injuries, God, I mean just thinking about him just makes my ribs sore. Just thinking, you know, it's just like that, that that's no good. Makes it so hard to breathe and things like that. So um you know, obviously best wishes to both those guys to make sure they're back. But you're right. On Thursday, Jimmy said that they're both back. They've been pra- they've been practicing coaching up. Um, I think that um you know, Thomas Ford, I believe, was on the road recruiting instead of Cato. So that gave him a little bit more rest during the bye week. So that was, I, mean, I think that was important. So, but getting those guys back obviously would be huge. I mean, we saw what happened with Oregon, for instance, with Joe Moorhead. He was having um, some non-COVID related issues and and couldn't um, coach against, um, who, who was at Stanford? And then Stanford beat Oregon. So we, we know sometimes that, that it could be those little things that end up being not so little. Um, so losing like your, your, your play caller and a Bob Gregory, like if he couldn't call the plays against UCLA, for instance, that, that could be, that could be really bad because, you know, now all of a sudden you're passing along to an Akaika Malloy or someone else. And now it's not that these guys aren't capable of doing it, but you're just throwing them into situations where, um, they're not necessarily comfortable or uh, confident in this in doing what they normally would do in, in in a game week routine. So, but again, having both those guys back is going to be big. And and just um, to go back to Scott's point, um, UCLA doesn't actually have a buy until November, first week of November. So they're they're rolling <laughs> at this point. And that was one thing that Jimmy Lake noted, Kim, on the question that you had about, you know, what is it like, you know, having a bye week and then coming back as opposed to playing a team that hasn't had a bye week. And he says, that's the, that's the thing they're in a rhythm, you know, and that's, you got, that's one thing you got to watch tonight is, are the, is UCLA just kind of rolling and doing their thing and, and can Washington disrupt that, especially like in their run game. Zion Tupaola Fatui basketball media days and recruiting. We will cover all of that. When we return, it's the guys from dogman.com on dogman radio. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back. I'm Kim Grinnell, along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. 5.30 kickoff tonight against UCLA. For those that are coming in from out of town or just waking up, expecting the weather to be mild. And right now, it's looking like we're going to avoid the rain. We will see. But uh, the big question, Scott, are we going to see ZTF? Are we going to see Zion return to the field today? Yes, I think we will see him. Um, I've thought I've been projecting the UCLA game to be when he comes back because it gave him that extra week with the bye week. Um, how many game? How many practice? Or I'm still how many reps he ends up getting? Uh, boy, that's going to be really the the key because the guy is not going to be in football shape. You can you can run around and practice and and even take some hits, which he did this this week for the first time. Jimmy Lake came out on Monday and said Zion. Tupuola Fatui is back practicing. We had a story up on our first uh, on Monday uh, about it. And, um, you know, it's big. It's big for Washington. But I don't I want to temper people's expectations a little bit because the guy is not going to be in football shape. He's not going to be where he where he was when he when he left off as as a player last season when when he's got when he gets seven sacks in eight games or in four games and and I I just I hope people aren't expecting him to come out and and just get get after the quarterback and make a huge impact I think he will have a little bit of an impact during his time but they're going to run at him a little bit something that he struggled with last year in his first time as a full-time starter he struggled to stop the run when teams ran right at him I think that's what UCLA is going to do when he's in the game I also think that uh, they'll probably run plays away from him. And uh, if uh, DTR, uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, is going to sprint out, he's probably going to roll out opposite of where uh, ZTF is. And so Washington's probably going to have to move him around and do a, do a few different things. I also, out of, 
you know, what what is the typical that teams run 65, 70 plays a game? I think you might see him for 10, 10 plays, but I don't think it's going to be as much as people are hoping to see. I think you'll see that ramp up week after week as he gets more in-game shape and gets more into I think you'll see his impact come a little bit later in the season, probably in November, after he's had two or yeah. three games. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was – seriously, guys. I was The over-under that I was going to put was the number that you said, Scott, 10. I think yeah. 10 plays is the over – that would be an over-under on how many plays I would expect to see Zion um, tonight uh, if, they, if he plays at all. And I expect them to see – I expect them to just put him down on third and longs, purely passing situations. That's when I expect to see him somewhere, you know, 10, 12 plays. But I think that's probably what you could expect him being the pass rush specialist – tonight if we see him at all but 10 plays i mean you know 10 plays of him you know he's liable to maybe get a sack in there um he's liable to cause some problems and you're right scott he's not going to be in plain shape he's going to be in good shape i mean i don't they wouldn't put him out there um you know without him getting ready we you know all that jimmy lake has talked about in regards to zion is just how hard he's worked to get back and to get ready for this moment so I've got to I've got to believe he's he's in decent shape, but you really cannot uh, legislate for being in football shape until you actually go out and play. And, and if they Scott, can get, it, you know, when you put ZTF on one side, how much is that going to open things up for Ryan Bowman? Because he's pretty much been a non-factor all year. Yeah. Well, well, oh, go yeah, ahead. Chris. I was going to say he, you know, he's getting held sometimes. Um, that was pretty evident in the Montana game for and instance. the Cal game too. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, their offenses are, are kind of understanding that without Zion there, they can kind of pick their poison and 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 you know determine how they're going to try to minimize what Washington could do because Bowman was the main pass rush threat. As much as you want guys like Cooper McDonald, Savelle Smalls, Jeremiah Martin, Jordan Lolohea, Braden Tri- Braylon Trice, you want all those guys to be effective and 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 continue to improve. But none of those guys have actually been super productive. They may be getting better, and I think only time will tell on that. But in terms of actual production, getting after the guys and and really making a difference, no no one of that group has, has made anywhere close to the kind of splash that Zion made in the four games or, or three games that he played last year. So um, to get him back on top of, of what Ryan Bowman's already tried to be able to do um, in the in the five games so far this year, that could be special. You know, obviously getting the band back together is important. And 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 um, even even in those third down situations, Kim, if if you're right, and that's all we see tonight, um, that would be super critical because they're going to need to get off the field. They need some three and outs. They're going to need to possess the ball on offense. They're going to need to do some things to try to stem the tide of of that real potent um, UCLA run attack. And Scott, you know, at the beginning of the year, um, Tuli Tuli Gasanoa was probably pegged as the guy on the defensive line. He started off, I thought he started off the year playing pretty well. It seems like teams started keying on him a little bit. But that sure seems to have opened things up for Sam Taimani, for Taki Taimani, because I think he's starting to really come on. And if they can get, you know, both Taki and Sam, you know, to do that tag team, we've all been you know, hoping could come along at some point, um, they could really have something in those two. Yeah, well, and don't forget Fatui Tuatelli either. I mean, he's had a breakout season, in my opinion. <clears throat> he's got, th- he's got uh, what, three sacks, and, um, you know, which is almost half of the total of the entire team. So, uh, you know, he's he's been a, I think Fatui Tuatelli has really been the guy that that has kind of surprised me a little bit this in the first half of the season. But as you said, Kim, Sam Taimani had one of his best games against Oregon State. Sure, he got pushed around a little bit. So did some of the the rest of the defensive line. But he's playing really, really well. Uh, The coach is really excited about him. He's been in the backfield quite a bit. And uh, I think as the more experience happens, you know, uh, Ikaika Malloy talked about this week that the older and more the older players are and the more reps they've seen and the more experienced they are they're going to play things completely different than a guy who's new to the new to the game and or new new out there in their system because uh, an older guy a more experienced guy is going to see okay this is how they set as they're coming out off of the snap or this is their this is their first move with their foot 
So if this is where they're going, then this is what I want to do. Whereas a young guy is is not going to be able to see that and, and be able to get his body where it needs to go. So Ikaika was talking about, you know, they're not stopping the run like they really want to, and they're not playing as well as they really want to uh, against the run, but they're, they've gotten better. He's seen improvements, and he, and he thinks they've made some strides, and he thinks that uh, they're going to keep improving in that area. And that's going to be huge for the Husky defense because the strength of their defense is the secondary. Unlike UCLA, the strength of Washington's de- – I mean, Washington's defense is the exact opposite of UCLA's. Their their pass defense is, is their strength – whereas their run defense is their weakness, and the opposite is true for UCLA. So, um, you know, but you've got to get, you've got to give Trent uh, McDuffie, you've got to give Kyler Gordon, you've got to give Cam Williams, Asa Turner, all those guys, guys who can make interceptions and make plays, you got to give them chances to make plays. But if a team's going to run on you all day, why would they throw it? I mean, you, you've seen two two teams that didn't, Throw, they threw the ball 15 times and threw for less than 100 yards in each of those games and still beat Washington in, in uh, Oregon State and Michigan. And if Washington isn't able to force these teams to to throw the ball, then Washington isn't going to have success. And, and that's really going to be the key is stopping that run so that they can force them to drop back. And that will allow Zion Tupuola-Fatui. That will allow Braylon Trice. That will allow Cooper McDonald um, and and uh, Ryan Bowman all to get in the backfield and make some plays and make some hits. Yeah, this may this may throw people for a loop, guys, because <laughs> you mentioned the Michigan and Oregon State games, Scott. Fifteen fifteen uh, attempts for both teams, and you said less than a hundred yards. Well, that was a less than a hundred yards combined. They threw Michigan and Oregon State threw for a combined 92 yards. Neither one of them threw for 50 yards in that game. The rule of thumb is, is if Washington can make UCLA throw the ball 40 times or more, they're going to win. Because in both the games that they've won this year, Arkansas State and Cal, they made the they made California throw the ball 42 times and Arkansas State 49 times. 15 times a game. If, if UCLA only throws the ball 15 times tonight, they will have won probably by 14 at least. Kyler Gordon, I think, is playing at an all-conference level. Trent uh, McDuffie missed the Cal game. He wasn't 100% for the Oregon State game, expecting him to be a little bit healthier. We're still seeing uh, Alex Cook and um, Cam Williams get a majority of the reps at safety. Asa Turner's been rotating in there. We haven't seen as much of Dom Hampton as I thought we would. Uh, we're seeing uh, Cam uh, Fabikulanen in there as well. But, uh, you know, and you Bookie. Think, yeah, and Bookie too, you know. But, um, you know, that, that safety position, they seem to be splitting a lot of those reps, Scott. Yeah. And, and I don't know necessarily the rhyme or reason on that. I, the safety play against the run, I think has been questionable. And I think that's where a guy like Dom Hampton could help, but his mistake in the Michigan game got him in the doghouse. And I don't know if he's out yet. I know he's played a little bit more on special teams, but he hasn't been really in, in the regular defense. And is this his chance to get back out of it? You know, a lot of it, of stuff like this with Dom Hampton is how how do they respond to the discipline that they're getting? Um, his mistake against Michigan kind of halted Washington's chances to have any chance of coming back in that game, and uh, and that it hurt. And he's paid the price for it, but he's paid the price for it for the last three games, and he's paid the price. Did he pay the price during the during the? Um, bye week. You know, I, I think that's going to be a huge key. Asa Turner is not the physical guy that we all thought that we were going to see when he came in. He's 6'4", he's 210 pounds, but he doesn't play that way. And Or 6'3", 210 pounds, whatever he is, he doesn't play that way. And and uh, Buki Radley, you know, you, you, Hiles, you talk about him, he's great in the box, but he's also 5'9", and, and 180 pounds. So He's not five. Scotty's yeah, not, what, whatever he is, nine. but he, I mean, he's <laughs> tiny. He's not big. He's not going to be able to support the run like a guy that's six two, two hundred and twenty pounds, pounds can. So you know, Cam Williams, he's struggled with his with his hands and things like that with uh, injuries. Um, you know, we saw him um, be able to make that play against Cal and helping force that fumble, and 
and that was great. But, you know, he's been so-so. You know, Alex Cook, I think, has been pretty good. But he's not a he's not a physical tackler. He's a guy who's who's back there to be a ball hawk and, and be in coverage. So, you know, a lot of it's going to just depend on how Washington is able to come downhill and and make plays. Are the are the linebackers going to get get eaten up by blockers? Are the are the um, defensive linemen going to be able to occupy blockers? I mean, it, it all plays so much a part of each other. Everybody can say this unit is playing terribly. This unit is not playing well, blah, 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 all those different things. It all is a team effort. That's what's so great about football is you, you, it's a team effort. And if one area isn't carrying their their weight, then it's going to help. It's going to show on the field that, that the whole unit is going to struggle. We're running out of time here, but I want to make sure to touch bases on recruiting Scott. Who are you expecting on the sidelines today? Oh, well, I mean, there's going to be a lot of local guys. I know that Jeremy Bernard had announced on Friday that he's coming up to Washington. We had thought that uh, Jeremy Bernard is the wide receiver commit out of Liberty, for those that don't know. Um, His former teammate and a guy who's at Snow College in uh, Utah, he is Keontae Scott. He's a really good defensive back, a, a college all or a JC All-American as a freshman, having another really good year. There had been some thought that he was going to join him for an unofficial visit, but he has a game today, so he is not going to be able to come to the University of Washington this weekend, but he is planning a trip. Um, uh, and otherwise, I, I think there's uh, going to be some younger 2023 guys that are going to be on campus I know that uh, Josh Connerly had, had hoped to make this game, but uh, they are playing, I think they're playing Eastside Catholic. Uh, I think they played last night. I'm going to have to look that up. But I know that Josh Connerly had told me at one point that he was planning to come to this game. Um, there are several other guys who I would expect to be on campus. Ryan Ryan Otten is one. They had a game against Camus last night. Uh, he's expected to be here. A um, couple other guys, uh, Jackson Stratton and I have been talking about. It. He's he's trying to get up for a for a game. He's been in, out injured, so I don't know where his status is and what what uh, that all entails. But um, Washington is not going to have a lot of big names. They're not going to do any official visits unless something weird happens and they have to bring a guy in. Anybody who thinks they're going to take on officials are not going to do it this year. Maybe next year. This year, they're not planning to do it. They're planning all of their or all of their official visits after the season. Also, uh, coaches out on the road this past week. A lot of offers going out. Uh, anything jump out at you? Yeah, the the offer out to the uh, kid out of Dallas Fort Worth area, out of Cedar Hill, uh, Jalen Peoples. Um, and I and I'm I I was kicking myself after the game after I interviewed him that I didn't ask him if he was related to Tim Peoples in any way. I don't usually do that, but I I was going to ask him and forgot, but he's a three-star was committed to Kansas. But if you look at his offer list, he's got a lot of really good offers chose Kansas early on said he, he just didn't feel like it was the right decision. He said their football program just is not where he wants it to be. He said, I want to have success outside of football after football, as well as what I'm doing now. Um, so you are, you know, playing, playing the game. And so Washington has definitely gotten in, with him and then Devin uh, Tompkins, the defensive end out of, um, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, er, um, Stockton. Stockton, yeah, that's right, Edison Stockton, and um, and he he is a guy who hadn't played football since he was a seventh grader, or I'm sorry, sixth grader until his senior year, and he's six six, two hundred twenty pounds. He's got a lot. He's very very raw. He, he just doesn't have – he didn't have a lot of recruiting buzz early on because a lot of schools didn't even know about him because he hadn't played in five years. So um, Washington got a look at him. They made an offer his way, and he told me that he's looking at taking an unofficial visit to Washington at some point during the season. But at the very least, he's going to take – he's planning an official visit to Washington at the end of the season. So that's another name to keep an eye on. Those are two 2022 guys that could fill out this class and be – they're not going to move the needle as far as, the, you know, what Washington's overall ranking is and things like that. Washington is currently 51st in the country, at least according to the rankings. But they are solid players, very good players. And uh, Washington could do a lot worse with guy, uh, than those two guys. I was also going to say real quick, I was, Kim, I was going to say real quick, too. The, you know, those two guys getting offers, 2022 offers, Scott, it kind of goes in line with, you know, you think about like Davon Banks, for instance. They seem to want to find those guys that are a little bit late 
maybe not necessarily late bloomers, because obviously with Banks, you know, he was a guy that was on their radar before he got hurt. But just guys in general, it just feels like they're trying to find those unpolished gems and are willing to wait on some of these guys that that maybe some of the other schools weren't willing to to, um, you know, kind of bide their time on and be patient with. Are you seeing some of that? Yeah, I don't. I, I don't disagree with you, Chris, in in theory, but um, I don't think that because the way you phrased it was that they're preferring to do this. I think if they well, had no, their it preference, seems like it, that's part of their part of their strategy, though. It yeah. seems. Like. Well, it's part of their strategy when they don't necessarily get a guy like Cyrus Moss, who is an out unbelievable defensive end prospect, but he's not considering the University of Washington. Now, I'm not saying. All of these guys are down the list, you know, way below these guys because some of those five-star guys don't turn out to be five-star guys. And especially in the way that recruits have been evaluated over the last year and a half, you're just not seeing it like you'd like to see it. So, uh, you know, seeing the kids like you'd like to see them and, and evaluate them. And so some of these coaches are going off of film. Some of them are going off of the hype. Some of them are going, you know, Washington doesn't prefer to do it that way. So, like it or not, Washington is going to have to find some gems in this class, and hopefully in 2023 things pick up a little bit better for them. Winning on the field is going to help them a lot. But, yes, Chris, I, I think Washington prides themselves in the fact that, hey, some of these guys are getting overlooked, and we're going to we're gonna reap the benefits of it. Okay. Well, I guess we'll finish it up then. <laughs> I guess we decided uh, to, to finish things off. So um, I think there was uh, – you know, Kim wanted to touch on things with Pac-12 basketball – uh, media day, men's basketball media day. So um, obviously uh, Jamal Bay and Nate Roberts were there with Mike Hopkins. Uh, Kim was down there. We, you know, obviously uh, we put out the interviews with all three of those guys exclusively uh, on dogman.com and, uh, and also got a chance to to check out all the other teams and kind of get the lay of the land. Washington was, was picked 11th in the poll, uh, the preseason media poll, which, I don't think should come as much of a surprise because of all the massive turnover. But I think you just got the sense that um, there's a lot of guys on this program right now that have come back. A lot of guys with Seattle ties, whether it's like an Emmett Matthews, Dejon Davis, Terrell Brown, um, PJ Fuller, you know, guys like that. And then they're mixing them in with some of these, you know, spectacular raw athletes like a Langston Wilson, who I think people are going to be really, really excited about seeing what he's going to be capable of doing. So, a lot of things to be talking about on the basketball front. Um, you know, they're going to have the mid-year signing day here, and I think literally like less than a month. Um, so we'll see what happens on that as well. But you know, as as we're talking about today, and and we're looking forward to tonight, it's pretty much all about football, and it's all about Washington and UCLA. So anything else, Scott, that that we need to touch on before we finish this thing? No, I think we can just wrap it up and and call it good. But uh, Washington is Washington needs this win. I don't think I don't think I'm reinventing the wheel by saying that they need this win. They need to play well, and I think they have a very good chance to win this game. I did not predict them to win this game, but I think if Washington comes out, plays well, um, and gets after Dorian Thompson Robinson a little bit, I think they can they can get a win. We'll we'll just have to wait and see though. Yeah, I think it's really I'm, important. I'm back, by the way. Hello. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. Right. Um, we're we're finishing so things up, back. Kim. Yep, we're finishing things up. But um, you know, I just think that it's super important that they that they try to do what they can against uh, you know Zach Charbonnet and Britton Brown. Um, those guys have been phenomenal. Obviously, I think they're number two in the Pac-12 behind Oregon State and running the ball. And we saw what Oregon State did against Washington a couple weeks ago. So that's key. We've seen. You know, Bob Gregory go to that bigger front. Fatui Tuatele has been in the starting lineup the last two games against Cal and Oregon State. So I expect to see more of that again tonight. Um, obviously, it needs to be a lot more effective. We They need to be able to allow um, Eddie Ulufosio and uh, Jackson Sermon a little bit more time and, and, and a little bit more cleaner looks to fit those runs and uh, be able to go a little bit more sideline to sideline to get after these guys a little bit. But boy, you know, Chip Kelly, you know, he, he, he's got the ground game humming right now. And we know, especially going back to his Oregon days, that's what he wants to do. He wants to pound the ball. It may come out of spread formations. It may be out of tight formations. It doesn't really matter. He wants to pound the ball and they, 
ran against Arizona for more yards than any other time in his tenure at UCLA. So you know that's what he wants to focus on uh, against Washington tonight. So we'll see how that works. And if Washington's able to force Dorian Thompson-Robinson into doing some things, um, you know, maybe force him into some turnovers, that would be huge because they need to possess that ball. They need Dylan Morris to get into a groove early and then base that uh, that run game off of what they were able to do in the past game to kind of open things up for them. So that's kind of how I see things going. I'm with you, Scott. I did not predict a Washington win in this game, but they have every opportunity to show fans that the bye week was spent uh, well. They were able to get healthy, and then they were able to kind of turn things on and turn things around a little bit. Kim, wrap us up. I'm back. Sorry about that, but uh, um, just 5:30 start going to be interesting. Sunday morning is going to be real interesting for one school. And just want to touch bases real quick on basketball. I had a chance to be down at basketball media days down in San Francisco at the Plush Pac-12 headquarters, and uh, had a chance to talk to Mike Hopkins, Jamal Bay, and Nate Roberts. Uh, there's a nice uh, podcast with Coach Hopkins up on the site. So if you get a chance and you're really into basketball, take a listen to that. But I think people are going to be surprised at this basketball team. They were picked 11th, but, you know, I was joking with Coach Mike Hopkins, and uh, dang, I wish they would have picked us last. Nobody has a clue what this basketball team is. I've had a chance to, you know, go in and see a practice, but I think uh, Husky fans are going to be pleasantly surprised with what they see. And uh, just one of the funny moments, uh, Bill Walton seems to have a man crush on Nate Roberts. They were flexing their muscles together, and uh, he's got a man crush on Nate Roberts. So the first Bill Walton game expected to be the Nate Roberts hour because Bill Walton sure got the love fest with him also expect here in the next couple of weeks more information on the basketball facility i know that they're working hard on that and we're expecting more information to come out on that in the next couple weeks so stay tuned so hey from all of us at dogman.com i'm kim grenolds along with chris fetters and scott eckland go dogs It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.